Well, it's a pleasure to be with you again as we continue our series through the book of Matthew. And uh, this also concludes our week of prayer for international missions. Of course, it doesn't mean we stop praying, but we continue to pray as we seek the glory of Christ to the ends of the earth. I think it is fitting that Christmas is the uh, season of Lottie Moon. Um, because Christmas really is a missionary season, if you think about it. Uh, Jesus Christ was the first missionary. He left heaven and came to earth to save us from our sins. Tonight we're gonna, th- this morning, we're going to talk about um, the Magi from the East. And I've entitled this sermon, Gifts for the King. Gifts for the King. But before we get started, let's pray together one more time. Lord, we now enter another hallowed moment where you speak to us through your word. And we pray, God, that you indeed would speak this morning. Let each of us, Lord, hear divine word from heaven. Let none walk out of this door without hearing from you. And if there's uh, anything, God, in our hearts and in our minds that would impede or hinder us hearing from you, This morning, I pray that you would remove it this very moment. That we might hear what you want to say to us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you have a Bible, you can turn to Matthew chapter 2. Matthew chapter 2. Parents at Christmas time are usually in a paradox. Uh, We want to teach our children to be givers and not just receivers. We want to teach them that it's more blessed to give than to receive. There's one problem, of course, is that children got no money. <laughs> they can give, but guess what? If they give you something, it's only because you gave it to them. <laughs> this, I think, is a parable for life. The Bible says we have nothing except what we've received. You see, we don't like that. We like to think we've earned Things. Let me tell you something. If you got something, God gave it to you. You better thank God for it because he could take it away. We cannot give anything except what God first gives us. I don't know about you, but I want to give more to God with my life. More of me. More of my time, resources, energies. More souls. More earnestness. But all of these things are themselves gifts from God. So what do we do? We do, we act like a little child and say, God, give me so that I can give to you. God, give me more zeal, more passion, more love, more humility, more faith, more self-sacrifice, more souls so I can give them to you. Because that's what we want to do is give to our God who gave for us. God, give me souls. Give me the soul of my one. Our lost family members, friends, co-workers, so that we can give them to you, Lord. Give us, that's a too small of a thing. So God, give us the nations. Give us the ends of the earth. Give us the praise of those who at this time in history have never even heard of Jesus Christ. So we might give them to you, Lord. That's what 
Christmas is about. That's the heartbeat of missions. It's the heartbeat of the Lottie Moon Christmas offering. We can only give what we've been given. What God has given us. And we give it back to him so that he might receive the praise. This morning we want to talk about gifts for the king. Gifts for the king. We're going to read about it in Matthew chapter 2 beginning in verse 1. If you have a Bible and you're able and willing, I invite you to stand in honor of the reading of God's word. Matthew chapter 2 beginning in verse 1. It says, Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled in all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. And they told him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet, And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly, And ascertained from them what time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly. With great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother and fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. The word of God may be seated. I'm going to see three things this morning that Jesus is in this passage. Number one, Jesus is born king in fulfillment of Scripture. Jesus is born king in fulfillment of Scripture. Number two, Jesus is spurned by his own people. Jesus is spurned by his own people. Number three, Jesus is worshipped by the world. Jesus is worshipped by the world. First thing we see is that Jesus is born king in fulfillment of Scripture. Jesus is born king in fulfillment of scripture. Jesus was born in the days of who we now call Herod the Great. Herod was born in 73 BC, and he was quite the politician, securing the position of king of Judea from the Roman Senate in 40 BC. Uh, He quickly crushed all opposition that against his rule with the, uh, with the help of the Roman military, so that by 37 B.C., his rule in the region of Judea was undisputed. Herod was a remarkable administrator, and uh, he gained uh, notoriety for his expansive building projects, including the magnificent temple that he built, the same temple which Jesus worshipped in before the temple before Jerusalem was sacked in 70 AD and the temple was destroyed. 
But by the end of his life, Herod uh, was, he was, well, he was a harsh ruler all along. But by the end of his life, he was so overcome with jealousy and for, the, for his throne and, and paranoia, really, that Herod uh, killed his most beloved wife and his own two sons. In fact, so murderous was Herod near the end of his days, which would have been right around the time of Jesus' birth. He was so murderous and he was so harsh that he actually commanded that a group of distinguished men, he commanded that they be killed on the day that he died so that people would mourn on the day of his death. In fact, Caesar Augustus famously noted that it was safer to be Herod's pig than Herod's son. And it is to this jealous, paranoid king that these magi from the east come, saying, where is he who's been born king of the Jews? Immediately we know this can't end well. But the event is astounding from a biblical storyline, and it's just easy to miss it because we sing the songs and we just we gloss over it. But we have to, we can't help if we reflect on it to be astounded that three non-Jews, Gentiles, from the far east, uh, we, we don't know exactly where, maybe perhaps Babylon, came over, as the song said, field and fountain, moor and mountain, following a star, looking for him who has been born king of the Jews. And of course, it's, we have to think about it, because these guys who are coming, they're not Jews, but they're looking for him who is born king of the Jews. What does it mean? means Jesus is not just the king of the Jews. He's the king of the world. And it says specifically that he is born king of the Jews. That's what it says in verse 2. Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? So note here that this isn't, this isn't a prophecy. They aren't saying where is he who will one day become king of the Jews. They're asking where is he who is the king of the Jews. Jesus was born king. He is already king at his birth. Herod or no Herod, he is the king, and it's only a matter of time until his rule becomes manifest, visible, and total. What brought these men from the east? It was a star. There's been all kinds of debate about what kind of star this may be. Lots of people have suggested some kind of astronomical phenomenon, like the lining up of um, a couple planets that happened around that time. I just think it's not of huge concern to us. I don't think we need to unnecessarily diminish the supernatural aspect of the whole ordeal. Because when they arrived in so they saw the star initially, that alerted them that the king had been born, and then they began to travel for apparently two years, because that's how Herod would later kill all children two and under. So apparently they traveled for some time period before they got there. 
But the star reappeared to show them the way to Jesus after they talked with Herod. And why a star? We're not, we're not sure. Perhaps these magi were from Babylon, where a large Jewish population lived from the, ex, from the time of the exile. And perhaps they had picked up on some of the Old Testament messianic prophecies. And it is interesting, for example, that another Gentile in the Bible, uh, uh, Balaam, if you remember him, the one who the donkey talked to, greedy though he was, couldn't help but speak what God commanded him to. And in Numbers twenty four seventeen, this is what Balaam said. He said, I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star shall come out of Jacob, and a scepter shall rise out of Israel. It shall crush the forehead of Moab and break down all the sons of Sheth. So we can't know for sure how these eastern men Eastern wise men and astrologers came to know of a star that would pronounce the birth of the Jewish king. Almost certainly it was through exposure to the Old Testament scriptures. But their arrival unsurprisingly causes a great stir in the city. And no one, of course, is more stirred and concerned than Herod because they're speaking of another king. And already now he has it in his heart to exterminate this king. He's threatened by child. And incredibly, he, he goes to the Jewish leaders to ask where this king would be born, and they quickly, and un, they quickly come to an unambiguous conclusion. It's astounding. The, strict, the scriptures are incredibly clear on this point. The child must be born in Bethlehem, the city of David, where the great king of Israel was born. And it's striking because this, the, the, the passage that they quote is Micah 5.2. And we, and we understand the Bible uses all kinds of types and shadows to make, to, to make a prophecy. It doesn't always, it's not always uh, explicit prophecy. But Micah 5.2 is actually one of the clearest examples of direct fulfillment per pro- prophecy that we have in the entire Bible. Because it says... That the, the ruler who will rule over Israel will be born in Bethlehem. Micah prophesied roughly 700 years before the birth of Jesus Christ. 700 years before Jesus was born, God spoke to the prophet Micah saying, My king will be born in Bethlehem. And it came to pass. Just as God had spoken. And here we are now 2,000 years on the other side of that event. But it by no means negates the glory of what has happened. Promise made and promise kept. Detailed fulfillment of prophecy. The Son of God born in Bethlehem. And so what are we to make of this? What are we to think about this? Well, Jesus was born king in fulfillment of Scripture. This was all part of God's plan. It's not an accident. It's in fulfillment of Scripture. God spoke, and then it happens. God is saying that He he and He alone controls the course of human history. And God, therefore, doesn't, doesn't merely predict history. God plans history. 
Micah's prophecy, don't you see, wasn't merely God looking forward in his mind and saying, oh, looky there, my Messiah is going to be born. No. He's saying, my Messiah will be born because I'm the one who's going to make it happen. 700 years, I will bring forth my king who will rule over my people. Promise made, promise kept. And so we just have to remember then as we think about Christmas and as as we think about our lives, brothers and sisters, that Christ has come. He was planned by God. He was born the king. And the same God who controlled all of human history so that this precise, perfect time in all of human history, his son will be born. That same God rules over your life. And he superintends over every detail of it such that, you, that you, your greatest joy will be in him forever and that he will receive the greatest glory in you forever. It's all part of his plan. There, is no, there, is, there are no accidents here. He is, he is working throughout history. Yes, even the painful parts of your life. We should, Jesus, Jesus, the only sinless person who ever lived, only lived to be in his mid-30s. God is using everything, even the hardship in our lives, to bring us everlasting joy. And to bring him unmitigated glory. So we can take heart that Jesus was born king in fulfillment of scripture. Because the story is still unfolding and he's still the king. So number one, Jesus was born king in fulfillment of scripture. Number two, he was spurned by his own people. I believe we see right here in this passage that a prefigurement of the reception that Jesus is going to receive from the Jews in his earthly ministry. Because we have to ask a few questions. Why is it? Why is it that God sent Gentiles from a far off land to travel all that way to tell the Jews that their king had been born in Jerusalem six miles away in Bethlehem? Why? Why in the world would he have to raise up people from way over there who are not even Jews to tell the Jews that their own king had been born? And in fact, we have to think, it caught the whole ordeal, it says, caused a citywide stir in the whole city. These people from the far off east and these magi, they would have been noble men. They would have probably looked like kings with a whole retinue of servants and, and, and people with them. They caused a whole stir in the city and they said, hey, hey, Israel, your king has been born because we saw his star. And guess what? Why did nobody go with them looking for the king? Where is the whole delegation of joyous Jews going with the Magi to look for their king? Where are they? They're not there. Because they showed up saying the king is born, and guess what? They just went on as business as usual. A lot of people, I could, we could stand out on the corner and I could say, the king of the universe has come in Jesus Christ. And guess what? They go on as business as usual. And how many of us in the church sit in a Christmas service and the, the, we read the scripture that say, the king of the universe has been born. And we walk out of the door, business as usual. And one of the greatest ironies of all history 
the Gentile magi come looking for, and they give him this title, the king of the Jews. Where is he who has been born? The king of the Jews, Gentile magi. And in a great irony, at the end of Jesus' life, that same title would be nailed above his head on his cross. The king of the Jews. At the request of his own people to be crucified by the Romans. The Jews, and particularly the highest, the, the Jewish leaders, the highest and most, most revered religious leaders in the Jewish nation ignored and spurned their own king. Don't you know that there is a tunnel to hell at the very gate of heaven? And it's easy to sit here and read this and cast stones at these ancient Sadducees and Pharisees when reality is that there are multitudes multitudes of professed Christians that fill our churches that like the idea of Jesus Christ, but he is not their king. Their desires are their king. Their job is their king. Their children is their king. Their family is their king, but Jesus is not their king. They may have all their religious trappings. They may have prayed a prayer one time, walked an aisle one time, got wet one time, share a religious post every now and then on Facebook, but their heart has never been ravished by the love of God in Jesus Christ. Their heart has never been melted. They've never been so utterly convicted of their sin to see how their sin is literally dragging them down to the pit of hell. And unless God has mercy on their soul, they cannot escape. They've never been so moved by the weight of the guilt of their sin that they've never, they've never come groveling at the feet of Jesus Christ, begging for mercy and finding in him more hope than they've ever dared to, dared to find. Until you've seen the weight of your sin, you'll never see the glory of Christ. God, help us from becoming cold to the glory of Christ. The forerunner of our Savior, John the Baptist, who prepared the way for his ministry and message. This was his message to prepare people's hearts for the coming of Christ. Matthew 3 8. Bear fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not presume to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able to raise up from these uh, from is able from these stones to raise up children from Abraham. Even now the axe is laid to the root of the tree. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Do not presume to say that you have Abraham as your father. God can raise up from these stones children of Abraham. Do not presume to say that you prayed a prayer one time, that you walked an aisle one time, that you got wet one time. If you don't bear fruit in keeping with repentance. Because God is able to raise up from the gravel outside this church. People who have walked an aisle, prayed a prayer, got dunked in some water. But let us bear fruit in keeping with repentance. How do we bear fruit for God? 
How do we bear fruit for God? It's not by tying plucked fruit to a dead tree. We need to become a new tree. We bear fruit for God by begging God to give us new roots. By begging God to make us into a new tree. By God supernaturally giving us ears to hear and eyes to see, hearts to believe and obey the truth. These religious leaders had all the religious trappings, but inside they were spiritually dead. But this child was born so that we could have life. So that we could have life. So that he might be the king to defeat our greatest enemies. Not Rome. Not liberal politics. To defeat our sin. To defeat death itself. Jesus is born king in fulfillment of scripture. Jesus is spurned by his own people. Number three, Jesus is worshipped by the world. He's worshipped by the world. It's no accident that these noblemen, when they came looking for Jesus, they said, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose, and we have come to worship him. We have come to worship him. These far off Gentiles looked nigh and they saw the star. And they said, I'm going to cross whatever I have to cross to worship him. God used a star. You see, Jesus said that if these don't praise me, the rocks themselves will cry out. Jesus used a star. To be one of the first cross-cultural evangelists in history. God doesn't need us. He uses us. But he doesn't need us. God used a star. And the Magi, we don't know anything about them. We don't know where they came from. We don't know where they went. We don't know what happened to them after that. I think the proper conclusion from this, from the scripture, is that they were made for this day. The Magi, in God's complete sovereignty over human history, birthed and raised up these men for this day so that they could seek his king and worship him. The Magi were made for that day. They were made to worship the king. And I want to tell you this morning that you and I, we exist for worship. That's why you exist You see, sometimes we just don't take time to reflect upon the things that actually matter most in life. Like, why am I here? Have you ever contemplated the thought that there are multitudes of people who get to the end of their life and they don't even know why they even existed? And they reflect over their whole life and they think, what in the world did I do? My whole life! What did I do? What if you spend your whole life doing something and at the end of your life you realize you wasted your whole life? Because you didn't live it for the thing you were made to live it for. I want to tell you with all the authority of the Bible this morning is that you were made to worship God. You were made for God. God is the creator, almighty God. And when you make things, you make things for a purpose and he made you to worship
And there is a glory. There is a glory that is rendered to the creator when its creation does what it was made to do. When a hammer is pounding nails, that hammer's worshiping. It's honoring its creator because it was doing what it was made to do. A creature honors its creator when it unashamedly, joyfully, unreservedly fulfills the purpose for which it was brought into being. A wheel turning, a light shining, a trumpet sounding, a human worshiping. It's the glory of God. We were made to worship, made to worship the king. And these Gentiles, these Gentile magi, they, they in and of themselves were a promise made and promise kept from God. Psalm 72.10, may the kings of Tarshish and of the coastlands render him tribute. May the kings of Sheba and Seba bring gifts. May all kings fall down before him and all nations serve him. Look at that. May all kings fall down before him. As we look at there in verse 11. It says, and they fell down. And worshiped him. Jesus is the king. He's the king. He is the one who he is the one whom God the Father has put forward to receive the praise and adoration and worship of his people. He is the king of kings. He is the Lord of lords. Therefore, every other king and every other lord shall bow the knee before him. Every pharaoh of ancient Egypt will bow the knee to Jesus Christ. Every emperor of all the ancient dynasties of China will bow the knee to Jesus Christ. Every tribal chief and mighty warrior in the land of Africa will bow the knee to Jesus Christ. Every European king, communist dictator, every Caesar, every czar, every senator, every representative, every prime minister, every president, anyone who ever thought they were anything in this world will one day discover they were nothing before the king. But those who, like the Magi, come eagerly, Knowing him and bowing before, bowing all that we are before all that he is. Bearing gifts of honor and glory and praise and adoration for who he is and for what he has done. He shall welcome into his kingdom. In fact, the Bible says that those who serve him in this world, stewarding as his possessions all that he has given to us. Go read Jesus' parables. When Jesus comes, he shall give us areas of reign and rule in his kingdom. And we shall reign with him forever. The Jews politicized while the Magi praised. And we can't miss how astounding this would have been. And surely this is the point, or this is one of the points that Matthew has in conveying this story. Of how the Gentile, it is that the Gentiles come to worship the king of the Jews. It was, in fact, the greatest controversy of the early church. Read the book of Acts. Read Paul's letters. 
How is it that the Gentiles can get in on the promises of God? And what we see right here in Matthew and in all the Gospels is that even if it takes something as crazy as a star, as crazy as a cross to get the whole world to worship Jesus, God will do it. God will do it. And note here in verse 10, in verse 10 there, it says that they rejoiced with exceedingly great joy. They saw the star and they rejoiced with exceedingly great joy. I mean, you know, I, I was wondering why they translated it that way. I looked it up in the Greek. That's actually a very literal translation. It rejoiced with exceedingly great joy. Why in the world would you put it that way? Because there, it's talking about, I mean, it's almost like joy inexpressible. Is there ever a moment in your life where you feel like you could say, I rejoiced with exceedingly great joy? Well, when these magi saw the star, saw where the king was, that's what happened to them. That's what felt. That's what they felt in their hearts. And that's the thing that we have to see. That's the, and really, I would say that's the heart of Christianity. The heart of Christianity is to bring the joy of Christ to the whole world. Right? People are going out, looking after all these things, thinking, well, if I do this, I'll be happy. If I do this, I'll be happy. If I identify this way, I'll be happy. If I hang out with these people, I'll be happy. Everybody is insatiably looking for happiness, and Jesus is saying, I'm right here. Exceedingly great joy. More joy that's deeper and fuller and longer lasting than the greatest physical pleasure you've ever tasted or ever even imagined. Full, unfettered happiness, pure, eternal joy in the person of Jesus Christ forever. And as we proclaim Christ, we are telling people all around the world, come into the joy of your maker. Christmas is about joy because there's there's no joy like the joy found in Jesus Christ. The problem is, is people say they want to be happy. No, you don't want to be happy enough. So you settle for all these sorry stuff that the world offers because you don't really want to be happy. Full, real, true joy is found in Jesus Christ. And the final thing I want to say here as we close is that as these magi came, they came bringing gifts. Gifts for the king. Gifts worthy of the one they were coming to honor. The last book of the Old Testament, the prophet Malachi, he rebukes the priests in his day. And this is what he says, Malachi 1.6. A son honors his father and a servant his master. If then I am a father, where is my honor? And if I am a master, where is my fear? Says the Lord of hosts to you, O priests, who despise my name. But you say, how have we despised your name? Verse 7, by offering polluted food upon my altar. But you say, how have we polluted you? By saying that the Lord's table may be despised. When you offer blind animals and sacrifices, is that not evil? And when you offer those that are lame or sick, is that not evil? Present that to your governor. Will he accept you? 
or show you favor, says the Lord of hosts. And now entreat the favor uh, of God that he might be gracious to us. With such a gift from your hand, will he show favor to any of you, says the Lord of hosts? Oh, that there were one among you who would shut the doors, that you might not kindle fire on my altar in vain. I have no pleasure in you, says the Lord of hosts, and I will not accept an offering from your hand. For from the rising of its sun, of the sun to its setting, my name will be great among the nations. And in every place, every place, incense will be offered to my name and a pure offering, pure offering. For my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord of hosts. You see, the book, the Old Testament ends with the prophet Malachi rebuking the Jews because they're giving God their leftovers. I don't want to eat that nasty animal. I'll tell you what, I'll give it to God. I'll I'll keep the best for myself. You ever give, God, ever give God your leftovers? Leftover time, leftover energy, leftover resources? You give him the rest after you spend all you wanted? But what is God's response to his people who were giving him the leftovers? He says, here's what I'm going to do. You, my name is not great among you, but guess what? It will be great among the nations. All over the world, including in Eastman, Georgia, 2,000 years later, people will be offering pure praises to my name. And they will offer pure incense and prayer to my name. And my name will be great among the nations. So this Christmas, let's bring our best gift to the king. Let's not bring God our leftovers. Let's give God our best gift, our best gift to the king. And that's what Christmas is about. And, I, that's, why, and that's why I think Lottie Moon Christmas offering is a great way to give your best gift to the king. Because it is fulfilling, it is fulfilling your gift to the Lottie Moon Christmas offering in faith out of the earnest desire that that gift would be used by God to make his name great among the nations. Then you are fulfilling the prophecy of Malachi. You are the fulfillment of Malachi's prophecy. Because you are putting forth what God has entrusted to you so that his name will be made great among the nations. And I can assure you, nobody will stand in heaven and look Jesus Christ in the face and think to themselves, I gave too much. And finally, as I close, I want to say this. Jesus Christ is the king. And he welcomes all into his kingdom who will turn from their sin. Bow the knee. Bow all that you are before all that he is. Trust in him. Surrender to him. Let him come in and rule your life. He's a kind master. He's a gracious Lord. And if you come and surrender and believe and trust in all that he is for you, he will, when he brings in his kingdom, he'll bring you forward and he'll put a crown on your head. And say, reign with me. That's the glory of our God. That's the glory of our King. If you come to him. Let's pray. Father, Lord Jesus, we adore you this morning. There is